Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Here is part two of last week's interview. talking um, earlier, there were a bunch of memories, there were a bunch of things that popped into my mind. Uh, some of them now have already popped out of my mind, but let me just touch on a couple of those uh, that, that occurred to me and I think are really important. One is your story and my story together, the way that you and Kathy ministered to me uh, in such deep and profound ways, really obliterates the lie that unless you've gone through exactly what that person is going through, you can't really help them. Uh, that's a bunch of crap, and yet it's understandable how um, how that could be uh, misunderstood. Now, I think it's helpful to I, – I, I think that one of the things that we're called to as the body of Christ and as a community and as a family – no one person should be trying to meet the needs of another person. Uh, that that winds up, um, you know, that person typically in ministry who's doing that has a desperate need to be needed, and and they're not recognizing some of their own um, uh, how how thin the ice is underneath of them that they're actually ministering out of a need to be needed, which is a very dangerous place to be. Set that aside for a moment. The um, it, so I think it can be helpful to have as part of the team or part of the body of Christ, part of the intentional uh, loving and ministering to somebody who's hurting and wanting to follow after Jesus, struggling with addiction, whatever the case may be, that we have multiple people um, connecting with them. And so it can be helpful to have somebody who's come out of that background, but the idea that it, that those are kind of the only people that can really minister is, com- is a complete lie. What's been most powerful for me is... Um, is my relationship with you and my relationship with other men who didn't, who've not struggled with same-sex attraction or homosexuality or any of that, um, but but saw me as a, a man. Well, first of all, you saw me as a man. You know that, and and that's not always been true in the church. That's not. I mean, not that they would see me as a woman, but they would see me as this kind of unique freak that's not really a guy. Or or yeah, you're outwardly a guy, but you're 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 kind of a mess, and we don't want to have anything to do with you. Uh, and I experienced that both in school, similarly to, you know, the bullying and the, the abuse that you went through. I went through a similar kind of um, abuse, but specifically around the idea that, that really shaped, labeled me as a fag, a sissy, a queer, a number of other, you know, things that, that really messed with my mind, along with uh, some other experiences that, that I kind of bought into. Well, I guess they're seeing something that I didn't see in myself, but now I'm starting to see that. And, and it just has a way of forming and shaping us. But, the, um, but even when you've had those bad experiences, we often say that we're broken in relationship, but we're also made whole in relationship. God desires to not just pull out of his, his wand and you know, fix us, but rather, I mean, once in a while, he'll show up in a, in a way that's inexplicable, in a way that really is miraculous and, and, and do uh, a sudden deliverance. But that's not the normal course of, uh, of, of coming through something like I've come through in terms of same-sex attraction and homosexuality, it really is the call that he gives to everybody else, which is follow me, which is discipleship, which is deny yourself, take up your cross, follow after me. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the treasure that you find in the field that you go and you sell everything else so you can buy the field so you can get the treasure too. And, and so, um, but again, I just want to emphasize that a person who understands 
the love of God, understands um, their own brokenness and the way that God's brought them through that, it doesn't matter that it in no way connects with the exact thing that that other person's struggling with. They can still be powerfully used. And, and like I said, for me, I needed men in my life who didn't struggle with the same things I struggled with. There was something about that that was, that was very... Um, solidifying. Uh, God used men, you're one of them, used men in my life to in many ways re-father me and in many ways do for me what my dad didn't understand. Uh, I love my dad very much. He's gone on home to be with the Lord. You've met my mom and dad. Uh, I love my mom and my dad very much, but man, he did not understand because of what was not given to him. And also, there, there was no communication really within the church. There was no, you, you didn't go to counseling back then. There was nothing to really give him the tools to understand, hey, what you didn't get as a kid, what your dad didn't pour into you, um, you need to be doing that differently with your own children. I mean, the Holy Spirit could have revealed that to him, but for whatever reason, he didn't connect that. And so I didn't get a lot of that until much later in life in relationship with him when he was really an old man and I was in my 30s. Um, so... Anyway, the people can be encouraged that you don't need a PhD in human sexuality and you don't need to have gone through the gutter of what everybody else has to be powerfully used by God in the lives of those who are struggling greatly. The other thing um, I was reminded of is uh, a couple, I mean, a couple of memories of, of living with, um, with you and Kathy and, and, and the boys and just kind of being in your home and the atmosphere. I remember... Um, first kind of moving in with you and, and I would have been in my late twenties at that point. And, and so I, I was on the, uh, really the, the throes and, uh, the misery of a failed marriage that I did not want to see fall apart. Um, we had been married for only three years and it took an additional year for our divorce to go through because I wouldn't sign the paperwork because there was no, there was no biblical grounds for divorce. Uh, uh, and, and yet we had some legitimate issues that man, we really needed to work through. We were going for counseling. I could see God changing me for sure. She, uh, my ex-wife, my first wife could see God changing me. She verbalized that herself. And, um, but, but there was just, I think there was just a, a fear that rose up that, you know, I'm kind of prepared for the divorce now. And if I, I just want to move forward and I just want to, that wasn't my feeling. That was hers. I just want to, I'm, I'm projecting. I think that was part of it. I just want to kind of be done with this and start a fresh, have a fresh start. And, and I was so confounded by it and so um, overwhelmed by and, and actually for a while, bitter and angry with God that he didn't do more that I could see to heal, you know, heal my marriage that when I moved, you know, back to, to live with you and Kathy to kind of heal up after all of that. The thing that I'm struck by was for a while I felt uncomfortable in your home and it wasn't because you guys made me feel uncomfortable in any way at all. Like you did, you did nothing but show hospitality and grace and, but there, but here's, here's what I realized maybe a couple of weeks in, uh, Kathy, for example, was so good at just being clear and being um, uh, speaking, letting her yes be yes and her no no the way the scripture tells us to. And I did not realize until living with you guys, it had never fully um, dawned on me until that time and going forward what an environment that I lived in where we didn't practice like lying to each other overtly. We knew that that was wrong, but we. We lived in this weird place, and I'm just wondering if anybody listening or watching this podcast can relate to what I'm about to say. We lived in this odd place within the church and with our family that 
you just didn't say what you really thought. You didn't, um, and 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 I, we were. I grew up not having anything else to compare it to until I lived with you guys, where it felt so normal for me to for someone to say something, but and and or for me to say something, and there was always this this process of trying to figure out what they actually meant. You know, what did they, did they actually were they were they actually saying something kind or was it kind of a backhanded thing or were they really glad to do this thing for you or were they really annoyed and you're going to wind up paying for it later on that it was kind of a passive aggressive thing? It, it's hard to even explain how how the environment of our church and um, and I think our church it was very very common, very much like many churches, but how the environment of our church and family kind of fostered um, this this lack of really speaking the truth to one another in in um, in open and vulnerable ways. And so when I would hear um, you, but Kathy in particular, communicating with such clarity, it was always joyful, but communicating with such clarity, it actually felt a little abrasive to me until I realized what was going on and realized, oh my goodness, it's such a relief to know that when she's, when she's joyfully saying, yes, I'm happy to, I'm happy to pick up your dry cleaning at the, you know, or I'm happy to, uh, we're glad to pay for, for your meal. We want to pay for that. Like, oh, what am I going to have to do later on to, you know, um, and, 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 and there was none of that. And it just took, um, a number of weeks to really, and months really to settle into this place that, oh, you're simply being genuine, you know, and, and you're letting your yes be yes and your no, no. And there was such a relief in learning to do that as well and not constantly have to pose and figure things out. Again, I don't feel like I'm quite doing, maybe maybe you're understanding what I'm saying. I'm not sure that I'm quite explaining it the way that I would like to, but what are your thoughts about that as, as, as a, a point of discussion? Oh, I think there are all kinds of people uh, who are relating to what you're talking about. Uh, and sadly, you know, even in the churches and maybe even mm-hmm. especially in the churches because People are told, well, you're supposed to be loving. You're supposed to, you know, do all of this. And yet they're doing it, attempting to do it in their own strength. Right. And they're not really getting filled with the Spirit every day and letting it be a fruit of the Spirit. Hmm. And so it becomes this burden for people to try and, you know, do it in the flesh and they can build up resentments and these other things. When you're walking in the Spirit, it's the love of God it's going out, and it's got all kinds of power for those changes. There's a verse in uh, Romans 12 that says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Mm. Mm. Oh, and taking the time to really examine that, that there are lots of people, sincere people, wanting to be good Christians. Yep who will say things or offer things, but it's just sort of, you know, hypocrisy was, you know, when it talks about hypocrite, it meant putting on a mask, you know, the happier, sad mask that actors right. did in, in old Greece. So they say, oh, don't just hold up a mask in front of your face. It says, oh, yes, I love you. Mm-hmm. It says, no, the love needs to be genuine love. And so many people... Don't experience that. And that takes a daily emptying of self, dying to self, as Paul says, and being filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit 
of God loving people through you because there is no end to that. There is, you know, no bottom to that well. There mm -hmm. is there is so much sufficient grace for all those situations. And to realize, oh, it's not because Dave and Kathy are so great. It's just, oh, God loves you, and he's getting to love you through us. Mm -hmm. And uh, people aren't used to those environments. Yes, and yes. And so uh, it's a shame, but it's it's available to all. Yep, <laughs> and it is. So many people think about the Holy Spirit... You know, pardon me, I, I go to tangent just for a second here that, mm -hmm. you know, you've got the the side of the church that thinks about the Holy Spirit in terms of, wow, really exciting, you know, signs, wonders and make you do kinds of stuff. And so they can be going to church to be able to see all the fireworks. Mm -hmm. You've got another side of the church that looks on those people and just with great suspicion and saying, oh, you know, that's weird. Yeah. We don't want to have anything to do with that. And so they do not embrace the Holy Spirit because they associate that with some of those excesses, just saying, mm -hmm. you know, that's not my style. And yet they would know very clearly if somebody rejected Jesus that that's rejecting God oh I'd never want to do that but they don't think of that rejecting the Holy Spirit is the same thing it's it's rejecting God the Holy Spirit is God just as much as Jesus is God mm -hmm. and well and I think one way Dave in that that where there's some confusion there or it's it's easy to to see those uh, Jesus in my connection to him as being very different from the Holy Spirit and our connection to him is, is that, you know, the, the need, I mean, Jesus in a very concrete way came and was born and, and died, gave his life for us, was resurrected again. And, and, and our Christian life really centers completely around what he did at the cross, obviously, and our response to that. And, uh, and whereas the Holy Spirit is is this uh, this one who is sent after uh, to um, to really be our helper and to come alongside of us? I think we so in one sense we embrace we embrace faith in Jesus and um, and our need for salvation, but then we get confused or um, somehow don't see the same level of value or importance in living our life by the power of the Holy Spirit in this life. You know, Jesus said, it is to your advantage yes, that yes. I go away mm -hmm. so you can receive the Spirit. And most people, you know, in the churches that aren't, you know, embracing the ministries of the Holy Spirit, that they're thinking, well, you know, Jesus is good enough for me, but Jesus mm -hmm. is the one who's saying, you need the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send yeah. you the Holy Spirit. And it was for the fact that we could have the power of God in our lives to love, yeah. to show that patience, to have the self-control, to do all the things that he desired for our lives to be transformed. I mm -hmm. say most Christians, most folks who are going to church, and again, I never question their sincerity, but most folks who call themselves Christians are living like Jews. Mm. They have set up for themselves their own law. They say, oh, well, I'm not going to do this or this or that, and that's what makes me a Christian. So many of them define their Christianity by what they don't do. 
Yes, yes. Rather than what is flowing out of their lives and the power of God to change people, to change this world. And again, you are a testimony of that. And we're just one, you know, Mm. lots of people God did along the way for your sake. But it was the power of God loving you through us Mm -hmm. that brought you through so much of that healing and empowering to now look at what you do to save so many lives. And that goes back to the original question. That's why I love being on your board and supporting you because this has been a work of God that just keeps on multiplying. Mm. And so it is a joy to support you wholeheartedly in the ministry that you've got Mm -hmm. and to see the gifts that God's given you, that you are wise, you are intelligent, you are articulate, as well as having a testimony of God's deliverance in your life. So this is a privilege I have to get to keep on being involved with you in this ministry that God's given you. And this is a ministry needed today. Yeah, yeah, thank, yeah, it is for sure, and we're so glad that there are others, you know, who are out there doing, um, doing similar work. I, I, I think many are doing. Um, we we all have some kind of some unique callings, even for those that are ministering in the sexual brokenness arena or the identity or the LGBTQ arena. Uh, I, I think you know so many that are out there, and we need more who are helping um, strugglers, you know, to uh, to find their way, as I was, right, um, to find their way uh, out of, um, to to live congruent with their right of self-determination and their desires and their faith values and those kinds of things. And of course, there's, there's a real work um, to, to take that away even legally from, to remove that from a person out of the guise of protecting them. And, and uh, so the, um, uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention too, is uh, you brought up a couple of things that um, remind me of the fact that, uh, you know, I'm, as you know, now I just recently sent out a uh, message to the board that finally, you know, after months and months and months, and actually probably a year or a year and a half or whatever, uh, the, the, um, uh, I, I finally had my first book written yes. and have been working with an editor on that. Yes. Yeah. Praise Jesus. Uh, I, as I will, people who have listened to me in the past probably understand that I'd much rather be having conversations with people or teaching from a stage or, you know, even one-on-one or small group engagement or whatever. Love that kind of stuff. I can't stand sitting down behind a computer, uh, typing away by myself, uh, you know, and, but anyway, the, the book of course is, is based on um, my story from, you know, as far back as I can remember, kind of moving forward through stages of development and and why those stages of, of development are important to understand and what can happen there and then progressing really uh, to the point, even though I grew up in a Christian home, progressing to a point of, um, of coming into authentic salvation uh, and surrender to Jesus in my um, early-ish 20s. And, and then, um, but one of the stories that I tell in that, um, uh, not not in that particular book, but there's a there's a second one coming that's kind of based on um, from there sort of forward to the present day, and um, and and you said something a moment ago that reminded me of why one of the reasons that we kind of split my story into two, other than the fact that there's, there's a lot of content which we're working to really chop down uh, to make reasonable, but. Um, 
the first part of my story is is really growing up kind of for me. I think I grew up in a in a church where people were saved and loved Jesus and and uh, in a home that that was true of as well. And yet there was so much of it that was so about religiosity. And I got really caught up in the and in, in the what you just said, what we don't do, what I don't do. Uh, and of course, I was doing all the things I wasn't supposed to be doing, but my whole focus was on not doing those things. So um, it's not very effective to overcome pornography by constantly thinking about overcoming pornography, right? And and right. so as an example, and um, and so the first part of this of, of th- this first book that's been written, um, that's mainly focused on finally coming home, finally finding belonging, finally. Um, understanding my place in the body of Christ and what it means to surrender to Jesus through all of the wild and crazy ups and downs and addiction and all that stuff. And then what's in the second part, the second book that will be coming out very soon as well, is um, and, and the first book is not quite completed yet. We're going to be doing, um, uh, there's one final uh, edit, and then we're going to be sending it out to uh, a, uh, a beta group of readers uh, that are excited about weighing in on making it better, you know, and, and giving us uh, their input so that when the final product is done, even though we're planning to self-publish, that it's been really excellently um, uh, manicured, basically, and made sure that, that it's ready to go. So that's the process. The second book, which I already have quite a bit written on, in that I'm talking about one of the, the pieces I'm talking about is living with you and Kathy and kind of unpacking that a lot more than we can do here. And uh, But I want to talk about one story. <clears throat> you guys, in uh, part of what you were saying earlier is that um, in my in my brokenness and repentance, like I remember specifically sitting in your office across the desk from you and bawling my eyes out because I just had sex with a guy the night before. And, and I was just so, and it was somebody that I'd started developing a relationship with. And there was this huge emotional bond and attachment that had formed and very addictively actually, and very quickly. And, uh, and so I was really in this war and this battle of what I was going to do and how, um, you know, I, I want to follow Jesus, but I also want this guy. And, and, and yet that morning when I was sitting and talking with you, I was just so sick of what I was doing. And I, I didn't want to go back to where I'd once been. And by this time I had given my life to Christ. And yet now here I am in this, in this familiar place and very quickly addicted. And, um, so I remember that conversation with you. And your grace in that and your, and not when I say grace, I don't mean like, oh, you're, it's okay, but rather quite the opposite, but yet just grace to bear with me and to reaffirm yes. that God is for me and he has not rejected me and, and he is, he's making a way and I need to embrace that way. And, um, and, and but I remember another time after that when you and, and the family were going to be going away um, to a, uh, a family uh, outing or trip. And you asked me if I would uh, house it for you. So at this point, I had I'd lived with you for a number of months, and then I'd gotten out and kind of gotten on, on my you know own feet. And, but I was really wrestling. I was really living a double life in many ways, hating what I was doing, but getting drawn more and more into um, um, succumbing to temptation and that kind of stuff and being in places I had no pl- business being. And uh, and you'd asked me about coming over and house sitting. And this is one of the stories that are that's in the book. And I was, um, I, I wanted to do it, but I also thought, oh man, I mean, the last thing I wanted to do was bring anybody to your house. Uh, and, and at the same time, I knew I'd be tempted to do that, but I was determined not to do that. And, um, and, but then I also, I also didn't want, I wanted to use that week of you guys being away and me having the house to myself. 
I had a longing for this to be kind of a sanctuary and for this to be something kind of a, a reset on, on a lot of what I was doing and what I gotten wrapped up in again. And, and when I, so I, I, by the time I got there that the morning that you guys were leaving, you were already on your trip and I, I came in, brought my bags in and, um, and just kind of settled into the day a little bit, a couple hours in, I, um, I was, I decided to get a drink of water and I opened up the cupboard and there was a little tiny um, envelope, and and I and it had my name on it. And I thought, huh, you know, what is that? I thought, well, that's kind of odd. So I reached up and I took that, and and I looked at it and I opened it up, and it was uh, a note from Kathy, and it was a, a word of encouragement. It was a verse. It was like an affirmation, you know, of of God in my life or whatever, something like that. It was wonderful, and um, I thought, well, that's so nice. That would, how did she know that that'd be the one place I'd look? And so then I went and, um, I don't know, did something else. I came back and thought, I'm going to get something to eat. And I opened up the refrigerator, and there's another note, you know, with my name on it. And and then um, I thought, well, so finally, like on the third one, so randomly going into the pantry or whatever and seeing like two more notes. I'm like, wait a minute. So so then I started opening up all the cupboards and, and going into the bathroom and opening it. So there were like, Kathy had stashed these little notes of encouragement for me to kind of randomly find. Well, I, I once, once the gig was up, I'm like, Oh no, I'm going to, you know, I, I wanted to find them. But what I did, what I did, I mean, it was so encouraging, but what I did is I kind of, and there might've been a few stragglers I found later, but I had this whole pile of like eight or 10 different um, envelopes with my name on them. And I'd opened up the first one and, um, and I, and I thought, you know what, I'm not going to open them right now. I, that would squander it. I don't want to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to save these. And when I'm wrestling and struggling to go out to the gay bar or go out to the adult bookstore or go engage anonymously with somebody or whatever. I, I'm, I'm going to open up this, this next one and I'm going to read it and I'm going to be encouraged. And I'm going to ask God to help me. And so I saved those for that very purpose. And the truth is I never opened another envelope the entire week because, because God was just that, that the way that God flowed through and gave Kathy that heart to do that for me and, um, you know, and, and, and the power in that was so tremendous in really resetting my heart for that week that I didn't, I, I didn't even really wrestle, which was shocking because I was wrestling every hour of every day prior to that and making horrible choices. So um, I just, again, I just think that that is a, such a God story of, of something so simple could have such a powerful ramification when I, I, I oftentimes talk about that there are things that God can do for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And there are things that I can do for myself that God will not do for me, which I always was torqued about back then. Um, I wanted him to, I wanted to blame him and, you know, him to be responsible for the whole thing. But then the real kicker is there are things that community can do for us that I can't do for myself and that God won't do for me. And that really makes us uncomfortable in the body of Christ. We very seldom allow community to be what God actually desires them to be. We won't be vulnerable enough for them to know um, to, to know us and for them to be vulnerable for that for us to know them. And so that's a great example of how the three of those, God and myself and community, were really working together to break the power of something that I was so sure I was going to fail in over the course of that week. So do you, do you, I don't even know if you recall or even knew that Kathy was doing that, but is that, yeah, you remember that? Yes. Do you have a perspective on that at all? I mean, it was such a, such a gift, you know, to me. Well, and that was God's inspiration on Kathy. Yeah. And, uh. 
of course, you know, even this whole time with, you know, you sitting and talking to me, this is, you know, I'm just part of what God was doing in that whole time. And of mm -hmm. course, Kathy is this wonderful vessel of the Spirit and ministering in so many wise ways. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, we can go on for years with Kathy's stories. <laughs> That's true. But, uh, yeah, I think as we think about the church, and, and again, so many people have a limited view. Church is the place you go on Sunday and you listen to, a, you know, sing some songs and you listen to a sermon. And then you, know, you go away and you just get on with life. And yep. that's not what God had intended. And the idea of the body of Christ is family. And we bear one another's burdens and we're praying for one another and we're encouraging one another. Um, in our, our Friday night group right now, we have, uh, we use Signal. Uh, it's like WhatsApp, just, you know, another yes. communication method. But we have a number of different Signal rooms and different places for exhortation and encouragement and for worship, you know, pr you know, different messages. But, you know, all during the week, I'm getting these messages and everybody's sending out messages of encouragement for one another, asking yep. for prayer, getting prayer, serving one another. And it's a family. And that's what God has really desired for church. And I think most people have just really never experienced what church is supposed to be. And that when we talk about fellowship, well, fellowship has been defined as, you know, going out for pizza and bowling instead of, no, we are all fellows in this same boat going through life's storms together. And we are mm -hmm. all rowing together and helping one another to get where God's calling us to go. Yeah. And that's real church. And so you got to experience that with us. And that's something we have always tried to encourage that uh, mm -hmm. people would really find what a real church looks like. You can go and read 1 Corinthians 14, 26. I won't quote it right now, but, you know, Paul talks to the church in, in Corinth in chapters 12 through 14 about the proper exercise of church. And he talks about spiritual gifts and he talks about the spiritual fruit, which is the more excellent way. Mm -hmm. And he says, hey, when you get together, this is what church is supposed to look like. And it doesn't look anything like what most of our churches are. Francis Chan years ago went through a thing. You know, he had built a mega church. And then he yeah. said, hey, if I was going to be starting a church, if I only had the Bible, what would I, you know, what would I build? What would it look like? And he said, it would look nothing like what I have here. Mm. And so he left that big old mega church and nice security behind to be able to be promoting, uh, you know, house churches and communities where people are loving one another. Mm. That when we're told, told to love one another, I mean, that's not just a nice, hi, you know, good to see yeah. you. It's a very active term. And it's when we get to really love one another, supporting, blessing, praying, encouraging, meeting each other's needs. That is that third part you were talking about. The body yes. of Christ doing its job changes lives. And yep. it's so powerful. And boy, if nothing else, you know, out of all this, would people 
go out and seek that. Find the place where there are people coming together because they are in the love of Christ, mm-hmm. blessing one another. It's a, there's so much power in that that most people just don't know. Yeah, and what you you mentioned Friday night, and I just want to clarify as well that you talked about signal. Uh, that that Friday night is a literal in-person Friday night for a number of hours of of wonderful worship and teaching and uh, but but again going back to to First Corinthians um, that it's the idea of of uh, uh, that everybody has something to bring it's not just one person right. right and and so whether it's a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song or a, an exhortation or whatever uh everybody has something to contribute and and friday night is open to anybody contributing uh and and wanting not just open but desiring that so so there's this in-person uh time and then there's other times where people are getting together in person but to help fill in uh in in even greater ways to to um, uh, to multiply the value of the in-person time, you have you're utilizing um, a an app that uh, is allowing that you know constant you know, frequent kind of connection uh, to happen as well, and that just that augments and and um, and stimulates uh, even more uh, family kind of connection. So that's an awesome thing. It also reminds me of Rosaria Butterfield's. Uh, I think it's her third book called uh, "The Gospel Comes with a House Key." I love. I, I mean, I, every church should read that. You know. Zaria comes out of a of a um, a lesbian background and um, was wooed to Jesus by an elderly pastor and pastor's wife. Basically, that just it's a great story. So her first book, uh, "The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert," is a phenomenal testimony for anybody hearing my voice talk about that uh, that hasn't read it. You'd be blessed to do it. Uh, but in addition, as in many ways, a completely different focus. But talking about the power of what she refers to in the book, I believe, as radical, ordinary hospitality. It's radical, but it's also meant in God's economy to be ordinary, typical, yeah. uh, common. And um, and so, uh, but the power of it uh, is is just astronomical. Um, so anyway, love, love that. Um, really appreciate just our engagement, um, you know, as well, Dave. I'm trying to think if there's... Um, if there's anything else that I, you know what, why don't, uh, are there any things um, with with you and with ministry right now that like I think, for example, of Jesus You, if there's anything you want to share about, um, or if it's too new, that's fine as well. Uh, but is there anything you want to share about what you're about and what you're doing um, within ministry crew as well, obviously? Um, give us a little bit of an update on, on what you and or Kathy are about. Oh, um, all of our spiritual life, even about making disciples. And we say we make M&Ms. We actually hand out packages of M&Ms sometimes to say we're about making maturing and multiplying disciples. Yeah. And, you know, Crew Campus Crusade, you know, taught us both early on that you are involved in three things. You win, build, and send. And so we seek to win the lost and see those people who don't have that relationship with the Lord and hook them up to bring them into the right relationship with God. And then we build them up in their faith and provide the word and are there to just help mold them to be helping them in their transformation as they're growing in Christ. Mm -hmm. And then send that we get these people who are mature and then 
send them out all over the place. And we've seen so many people, you know, mm -hmm. going through that process in different stages. And so that's just a very simple message. Anyone can do that. You don't have to be in professional ministry. When I was growing up, I thought I was going to go to seminary and be a pastor because, mm. of course, if you really love God, that's what you do. You know, you're going to be up there and, and preach into the church. And yet the Lord led me elsewhere that uh, we've been, again, I've been doing ministry all of my life. And yet at, you know, going through school, I had God had given me gifts with computers and programming. And second book really talks about, oh my goodness, no, it's not about focusing so much on what not to do, but it's turning away from that and walking toward what we are called into. And so every, every man, every woman, whoever you are listening to this young person, listening or watching this podcast, God has as much of a call on your life. It's going to look different than mine. It's going to look different than Dave's. It's going to look different than the person sitting beside you or whatever in your family. But it is a rich call of purpose and value that has eternal echoes. It has eternal ramifications. And I'll tell you, I think that is one of the most, the two things I believe that are so essential that God sowed into every human being is a, a need to belong and a need for vital purpose. And so often we are off in the weeds, chasing addictions, chasing relationships, chasing uh, a thrill, adrenaline drunk, uh, adre adrenaline junkies. Um, you know, whatever the thing is, we're we're desperately trying to find something that satisfies those two basic God-given desires. But nothing can fulfill those like coming into the kingdom and finding our place and purpose in the kingdom. It, it, that is life-giving. Every other thing, every other pursuit ultimately leads to destruction and death. So anyway, I just think that's an important point to, um, to make here. Is there anything along that line, Dave, uh, that, that you feel that comes to mind you want to kind of further emphasize? or? Oh, well, I think you know one of the major themes I've, I love talking to people about their purpose in life. Yes. And, you know, I don't know how many minutes you want to give to that over here. We'll be I, splitting this up into a two part. So, yeah. yes. Well, or three to yeah. try and make it as as simple as possible. That when we when I was growing up in church, I heard over and over again, your purpose in life is to glorify God. Oh, that's nice. Right. What does that mean? Right. Nobody ever told me what that meant, what that looked like. Most Christians today haven't a clue what that means. Mm -hmm. And so I have, uh, you know, congratulations on you getting your books. I've got to get my book out, you know, that's talking about, you know, my place in God's plan talks mm -hmm. about what it means to glorify God. And in very simple terms... It is First uh, Corinthians fifteen forty one says there's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of stars for star differs from star in glory. Hmm. Well, what's it talking about? It's talking about the light that those different bodies give off. Yeah. Well, 
why does the sun shine? Why does it give its light? Because of its very being, its elements cause it to be a giant nuclear reactor that as a result of all of the power and what's going on in the surface of the sun, mm. it's giving off heat and light that gives us life 93 million miles away. Mm. It's amazing. Yes. Why does the moon shine? Well, it doesn't give off one watt of its own light. It only reflects. The moon is a big dead rock. Mm -hmm. And yet, when it is in right relationship between the sun and the earth, it reflects God's light and people can see that sunlight. So people who are on the earth and it's nighttime, they're in darkness. They can't see the sun, but they can see that moon mm. reflecting the light of the sun. And that's our role that I, you know, God is like the sun full of light and power. I mm. am like the moon. I'm a big dead rock, which happens to be on my email. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the light of the sun, boy, God's light comes. And then I, because I've got his Holy spirit can reflect that light to the people around me who don't see God and they can see the love of God. They can see the joy of the Lord. They can see all of these things that are foreign to them, that when they're mm -hmm. just used to dealing with normal people, they look at the light in my life and they say, what's different about you? Ah, and as I, you know, they first experienced it, they've seen the light of God's power in my life. Then when they ask, which is what 1 Peter 3.15 says, it says, they'll ask. Then I get to glorify him with my lips. I get to tell them. It's not because I'm special. It's because I've got this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and you can have it too. Do you want to know how? And yep. people seeing that quality of it. So I tell people, my purpose in life is to glorify God first with my life, than with my lips. Mm -hmm. So I yes. show people God's love, God's power. And then as they are drawn to that light, I get to point it at him and people can say, yeah, that's what I really need. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons we're seeing such, um, so little of that, honestly, is because of the power of it is because so many Christians, and this speaks right to why our ministry exists in terms of equipping pastors and Christian leaders in the church, uh, because we, one of the things that's so foundational to all of the sexual brokenness and addiction and lack of health that, that's alive and well in the church. I mean, the, the statistics are ridiculous for how many Christians are under the power of pornography addiction and adultery and fornication and other forms of confusion around sexuality. And so one of the reasons we're not seeing, I think, what you're talking about often within the body is because we're trying to put a, on a veneer of those things, but we are not living in integrity in those things. Like the person who I am on the inside or the person who I am uh, when, uh, you know, I'm turning on my computer screen and looking at pornography or that I'm that I am in private. I open up, you know, that that file drawer of whatever addictive thing I'm whether it's food or it's a substance or it's 
porn or whatever, uh, a relationship that I shouldn't be having, um, then when I'm living that way and then trying to put on uh, like a Christian life, it has so little vitality or no vitality because we're living a, a compromised life. What you're talking about is a person who, well, isn't isn't living perfectly, isn't living isn't living as if they don't have any struggles or what have you, but they are a person who surrendered um, their life and that they're striving to live in a way that is integrous. Like it's one way, regardless of who it's in front of, regardless of whether I'm by myself, I'm striving to live one way in a way that honors and glorifies God and, and, um, and, and, and causes the greatest human thriving for myself too. Also, for those who are watching the final segment of my time with Dave Cottrell, we want to, again, thank you for joining with us and for watching, whether this has been ultimately two segments or it's, a, it's been a third segment. We want to thank you for, for hanging in there with us and engaging with us. And hopefully, again, prayerfully, you've received some, some good information uh, and, and some life-changing uh, ideas and concepts, ways that the Holy Spirit connected with your spirit about some things that you can apply both in your own life and for the sake of others that God is calling you to disciple and walk with uh, in, in kingdom uh, purpose and value. So bless you so much, and uh, we look forward to seeing you in another segment uh, in our Love and Truth Network podcast in the future. Thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and we look forward to seeing you in a future episode.